We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, everyone, the podcast where we discuss all the disgusting things we love in the horror world. And to discuss the disgusting, you know her as lead movie critic for Bloody Disgusting, horror movie fanatic and journalist Megan Navarro. Hey, Megan. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And yes, everyone listening is confused right now. Why is he doing this? This doesn't make any sense. That's because the third member of our dark trio, Zena Dixon, is starting the new year with a much-needed break. However... I think we have a more than apt replacement this week as we've asked Trace Thurman, the co-host of Bloody Disgusting Network podcast, Horror Queers, to join us this week. Welcome, Trace. Hello, everyone. Well, both of you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> By both of you, do you mean the two people who listen or the two people on this show? <laughs> <laughs> no, Everybody. I'm, I'm super stoked to come on here and talk about, well, the news, uh, the bloody disgusting of it all. Uh, it's Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to try to do Xena justice to where, yeah, uh, people will say, keep him. Keep him. Aw. Uh, <laughs> before we open our mailbag, which is what listeners are used to us diving straight into, uh, I thought we should get to know Trace and have our own little internal mailbag for you. Oh, my God. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Let's get to know Trace and put him on the spot. Uh, oh, my God. So this this should be easy. What be is your horror origin story? How did you uh, get to love horror? Uh, you know, I you know how like when people when they really want to do things when they're told not to do them. Um, that kind of <laughs> is me. I mean, I, I, my mom gets so mad at me for this, but like I was not allowed to watch horror movies. Um, like I mean, even as a kid, I couldn't watch Hocus Pocus. Uh, and so it was the thing where I was like. It was just this one thing where I was, I'm not allowed to watch these particular movies. And, you know, as I got older, I, I was finally allowed to watch Hocus Pocus once I got to, like, kindergarten or something. But, like, it it was just those days scouring the video store shelves, the horror section, looking at covers from movies that I knew I had, like, 15 years to go before I was able to see them. So I just was searching for PG and PG-13 horror films. So, you know, I grew up on a lot of Tremors and Critters and Gremlins and things like that. But That's good stuff. Yeah, it's really good stuff. But yeah, it's just, a, I was told you can't do that. So my immature ass was like, yes, I can do that. And so it became my goal in life to just be a horror maestro. And you did it. Okay. I did it. <laughs> so 
Xena loves witchcraft, occult horror. John mm. is the found footage guru. I I think I'm the creature feature, definitely aquatic horror. I have an idea of what yours might be, but what what would you say your kind of brand, your your subgenre is? No, my my my. So it one it's two. One of them is creature features with the specific branch into aquatic horror. So you and I both have that in common. The other one is slashers, but it really is specifically because I know you really you. you you were really into 80 slashers. Uh, mine, because I love the Scream franchise so much, it really is kind of the postmodern meta, like Scream whodunit. Like specifically the, the slashers with a whodunit approach. Um, like I listened to y'all's episode last week and y'all were talking about the Mutilator 2 and I was like, God, I wish I was excited about that because I blind bought the Mutilator <laughs> oh, and I didn't no. really like it that much. <laughs> oh. It's 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 definitely uh, a wacky out there one. So I can understand why it's not for everyone. We, we're suckers for really kind of goofy 80s. Fall song. break grows on you. Fall oh, break. I mean, it's got a theme song. Yeah. I, I, I own the fucker. I spent like $30 <laughs> on that Blu-ray. So like I will rewatch it. And I will see it again before the Mutilator 2 comes out. But yeah, um, it really is that. And also, I'm a champion of remakes. Um, I, I will, like, I mean, obviously they are not all uniformly great, but I will always give a remake a chance because fuck it. Yep, totally fair. Uh, obviously, we need to talk about horror queers. So how how did that start? Because you wrote for Bloody Disgusting <laughs> before uh, you started the podcast. So can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the origin of that? Honest, honestly, and I'm going to give him all the credit here, but my co-host Joe Lipset is the reason that horror queers exist. So I, yeah, I, I started writing for Bloody like at the very beginning of 2015. And one of the first things I wrote was, um, it was an article called Coming Out Screaming, um, colon, like something, something gay horror fan. And I talked about my experience of like, you know, how like growing up queer, um, how horror was kind of like a lifeline for me. I mean, movies in general were, but because my focus as I got older was really like going into horror, like I found a lot of catharsis in the genre. So I basically, after a couple of years, um, Joe, who also had written for the site, probably, he probably started maybe like a year after I did, but he was like, he emailed me and was like, hey, like, I noticed that you write about being gay in your articles. I'm also gay. Let's write, like, things and about queer horror. So we started this um this article series that we did call Horror Queers at the time in uh, early 2018. Just epistolary articles where if we watch a movie, he would write, like, 500 words. I would reply with 500. We'd go back and forth a couple times. Um, and he kept saying, you know, we should really make this a podcast. And I was like, ugh. I don't know. I gotta buy a mic. I gotta figure out how to like record things. I gotta edit. Like, I don't want to figure that stuff out. And he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And uh, I, I'm sorry. I promise I'm way more engaging on my podcast, by the way. You're <laughs> I'm fine. Not, I don't want to totally do this. Engaging. Yeah, your energy level is really weak, dude. You need to bring it up. <laughs> But um, no, so we, we wrote the articles for about a year, and in early 2019, we finally, like, he convinced me. We, we fucking did it. So we turned it into a podcast, and uh, yeah, so every week we will look through at a different horror film through a queer lens. We started to do it where it was like, oh, the films have to have a queer component. Now, granted, that could be an explicitly, like, a queer character. It could be um, a queer person was the writer-director or somewhere involved with the film. We've loosened our reins a bit, so we're, instead of like, oh, we're looking at horror films with queer content, now it's we're looking at horror films through a queer lens. So we can take something that maybe isn't, you know, oh, it, that's queer, and make it queer, which really does upset a lot of Bloody Disgusting's readers, um, but we do it anyway. <laughs> everything upsets everybody, well, like yeah. The Babadook. 
The Babadook counts. It's well, I mean, it does because, but that's purely because of like external circumstances. Yeah. Uh, but like you know, we did Batman Returns recently, which I realize is like a loose definition for horror. But like the queer allegory and the camp is all there. But the second you start saying this popular IP like Batman is queer, um, people get really angry. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. That's okay. Oh yeah, it's fun. Uh, I, I, it's like you're trolling the trolls. It's fun. I, I actually want to ask, uh, what do you think, like, if our listeners are very curious to go check out your podcast, because you guys have been, how many episodes have you recorded? It's since, it's been a couple we, years now, right? You've got a lot under your belt. Yeah, we just recorded our Scream 4 episode, and that is episode 157. 157. So there yeah. you go. If you were to recommend uh, somebody go, if they're tuning in for the first mm -hmm. time, what kind of, what episodes would you direct them to? So I would say if you want to hear our passion for horror, I would say listen to either our Scream 2 or Scream 3 episodes. Um mm. In terms of episodes that I think that we have really good analysis, I think our episode on Martyrs is really good. And I think our episode on Hostel Part 2, a film that I will defend till my dying breath, uh, is also really good. Um, and then also for more joy, I would say our episode on Clue is a, is a banger. Very nice. And <laughs> most importantly, where should they go to find you? <laughs> well, you can find us on Bloody Disgusting. I'm pretty sure there's like a yeah. URL for that, like bloodydisgusting.com slash podcast network or something but you can also find us on all the socials uh instagram twitter facebook whatever uh at horror queers and you can pretty much find episodes wherever your podcasts are found um spotify apple Podcasts, google play amazon shit everywhere like yeah <laughs> wherever y'all are too <laughs> yeah there you go you're off the hook for now Woo! all right okay to the questions no calls this week. Our first one is an email from Lalo from Mexico, emailed asking, my question for you guys this time is besides Scream, <laughs> like they knew what you were going to be talking about, because I know we are all excited for it, what is your most anticipated horror movie of 2022? Mine would be Evil Dead Rising and Jordan Peele's Nope. For the record, you can say those as well. <laughs> Thanks, Lalo. Let's, uh, well, let's start with Trace, since Trace is... Yeah, very excited for screen. No, I mean, it's, I think that's a mutual listener that we share because I'm pretty sure I know Lalo. <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> but um, no, actually, I I feel like a cop out saying this, but no, my answer is Evil Dead Rise. Um, I I feel dumb going for the big franchise, but uh, I I mean I. I've there are no iteration. wrong answers to your most anticipated. No, I know, I know, but I wish I could come in with something that was like surprising or like, ooh, like look at that, like he really knows his shit. And like, oh, Evil Dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, Evil Dead. We love Evil Dead. Um, no, it's. I mean, again, I I have been with this franchise, looking at uh, how it's evolved over the years, from film to sequel slash spoof film to complete comedy to TV show to remake, really good stuff. Um, and I'm just really excited to see what this next iteration gives us because. This franchise, much like the Dead Eights themselves, will just not die. And with new voices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you, Megan? So I am also going to be maybe basic, um, but I'm really <laughs> excited to see David Bruckner's version of Hellraiser with Jamie Clayton as Pinhead. I yes. am super pumped. And then for the wild card-ish, um, just because it's it's TBD. I don't know when it's coming, but I really am very curious about the Christopher Landon produced uh, My Best Friend's Exorcism, 
which mm-hmm. I don't think John has finished reading yet, right? That's on your to-do No, but list. it's a part of my resolution to finish reading all the books that I haven't finished reading yet. Is that uh, is that Hendrix? Is that Grady Hendrix? Yeah. yeah, it's the adaptation okay. of Grady Hendrix. I got halfway through. I hate the parents so much. <laughs> like, more than I hate the dad and head full of ghosts. So I'm like, I don't want to deal with these wasps anymore. And I had to put it down. Don't even really deal with them too much. I mean, not near as much in in Grady Hendrix's Well, by about halfway through when her parents really show how horrible of human beings they are, (laughs) I'm like, ah, damn it. And I'll get back to it. I'm reading. I'll tell you what I'm reading later. But With with that, though, I mean, is that like a straightforward horror story or is it kind of also meta self-aware in a way? Because I know it's, I mean, I know Hendrix is a horror fan, so. Oh, I don't think it's It's meta. not really meta. I mean, it's definitely Hendrix is clear, like, that he's, he kind of wears his influences on his sleeves. But right. I wouldn't say it's meta. Okay. It's definitely charming. I feel like, uh, yeah. is it Elsie Fisher? Is that her name from uh, eighth grade? From eighth grade, she's yeah. Like, she's going to have a year because this should come out this year. And then in February, Texas, she'll Chainsaw. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know what? But that's kind of my wild card because while I wouldn't say I have high expectations for Texas Chainsaw Massacre because we haven't had like what I would consider a good entry in almost 20 years in that franchise, that the the, the teaser really got me where I was like, oh, this looks kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it does have some really good imagery. Just him holding up the face mask well, is great. That is a good shot. But like the set piece with the girl under the, under like the porch and the chainsaw is coming. I was like, yes, give me more of this. <laughs> like it can be as stupid as you want it. Just make it memorable and that's it. <laughs> awesome. John, what are you excited for? I'm still hoping for puppets in 2022. Oh, Frank and Zed. Yeah, I haven't yeah. heard anything on that. But yeah, so we definitely you will be the that. first person I run and share that with when I when, when they get I announced will, for distro. Absolutely. That and, I mean, obviously Evil Dead, as big of an Evil Dead fan as I am, uh, nope for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, really just the art. It's just like more, I don't know if it's so much that I'm anticipating the movie as much as it's, what the hell is this? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't know that once the teaser and the trailer come out, I'll have the same draw, although traditionally Jordan Peele's trailers have been, anything he's been associated with has been phenomenal, mm-hmm. so I'm sure it'll suck me in. But it's more like that artwork. Like, what the hell is this? Well, and Us had a similar marketing platform, though. You know, he would yeah. release images, but, like, no one knew what that movie was until it came. I mean, maybe the trailer, but definitely when it came out. But, uh, yeah. But, but, yeah, and really it's just my big thing is we were talking about this last week and probably the last couple of weeks. I want to know how horror the new Doctor Strange is going to be. Because I've really fallen off a lot with Marvel movies. I just haven't caught or kept up. I didn't watch Marvel or anything like that. Yeah. It's so there's so many. Uh, but I really they keep talking about how scary it is, how much this is horror. This is Sam Raimi's return to horror. I well, mean, it's actors. MCU horror is what I'd be willing to bet. It's is it yeah, horror? So I'm on curious. A horror fan level, probably not. But we'll see. I know one that's your on your anticipated list that you are probably not even aware of yet. It's a what? new Benson and Moorhead coming very mm. soon oh i heard that i heard they were announced yeah i yeah. can't remember what the name of it was though. some something in the dirt and it it'll be I think it was just in the dirt. yeah that sounds right so that means it'll probably get a release this year i hope uh, so it took so long to get synchronic 
<laughs> it took forever. But may no, because I, I saw your article on Bloody that was like what the forty four like movies coming out this year. So thank Thir- you for doing that homework for me. <laughs> Thirty one, and that's not even all uh, of what's yeah. coming. I mean, there's so much that I missed. You know, like uh, Michael Kennedy said, time cut will be this year yeah. sometime, and that will be mm-hmm. fun if you like freaky. All right, so I think I think we got a lot there. All right, next question from at Gory Lady on Twitter. What do you think, and evidently, again, they thought this was just tr- going to be for Trace. What do you think is the most important element to a successful slasher? And what are some underappreciated slashers worth checking out? So, Trace, as the guest. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, again, it's going to sound basic, but I, I think I'll do like a kind of a plethora of answers. But really, the whodunit aspect has to be has to work like i want my jaw to drop when this killer or killers is revealed um you need good set pieces and as someone who is a monster fan of i know you did last summer and loves that sir michelle geller chase scene um and i think i think you need at least one stellar chase scene and i do think that this is something that we are missing from a lot of modern slashers um i i hopefully we'll get it in scream but i just i can't think of the last time i've had a chase scene where i was like holy shit, this is like edge of my seat type stuff. Um, For underrated slash, is that the question? Underrated slashers? Yep. Um, Well, I will always go to my go-to Sorority Row, the 2009 remake, which is um, wonderfully and delightfully bitchy. But I'm thinking in terms of something more modern. Well, I mean, that's like, what, 12 years ago. But um, (laughs) I think recent examples like Initiation and Haunt. Oh. Uh, and Haunt may be a bit mm. of a stretch call it a slasher because it's like, if you've seen it, you know. But um, I think those are really good. Haunt for me is a very mean-spirited and fun slasher set in a haunt. Um, Initiation is a, again, it's kind of like a slasher hybrid where it's doing slasher in like one area, but it's doing something completely different in another area. And while both, neither film was like wholly successful, like like they're not like great films, but I found them really, really um, endearing and I admired what they were doing so much that it kind of like bumped them up in my esteem. Awesome. How about you, Megan? I think that uh, I'm probably a little bit less picky. I'm an easy mark for slashers. So my thing is I think you just have to do one thing really, really, really well. And that one thing can change from movie to movie. So it could be the kills, you know, like we were just talking about the mutilator. Would that movie has been like, would we have liked it as much if those kills weren't so hyper gory? Maybe not. Um, Or you have like this crazy sense of humor that works that makes up for all of the other deficits or the characters, like be it the killer or the final Mm -hmm. girl or final boy or whatever. So I think if you have, something really well you know like chase was talking or trace was talking about the um i know what you did last summer's chase chase trace whatever (laughs) um but yeah like that that to me is kind of like the centerpiece for that movie Mm -hmm. and so like the things that kazina and i have talked about on this show how it's like we are not fans of julie uh so you know having that chase really stands out. So I think if you have something really, really, really well done, it, it'll carry the rest of the, the slasher. As far yeah. as underrated or underappreciated, I went kind of newish and old. So for newish cold prey, 
I feel mm. like not enough people have seen Cold Prey, and that is a super solid slasher done well. And then for all of the love that uh, Fear Street 94 got for that certain kill, I recommend Intruder. There is an entire grocery store full of those kills. It is, uh, it's on Tubi, I'm pretty sure, too. <laughs> No, I just with Cold Prey, like I, I agree with you on Cold Prey. I do want to like set like set expectations for that though, because I think Cold Prey, you like as you said, is a very solid slasher. It does not reinvent the genre. It is like it's oh, no. following the formula, but yeah. like it follows the formula very well. It does it really, really well. I like it. Mm-hmm. So if you miss that, it's like because modern slashers, I do think try to do like a twist. So this is old school yeah. with a new facelift. But yeah, John, yeah. I can't add anything to you as you are both far more learned and versed in all this stuff than I am. I am way the layperson in this crowd. Uh, yeah, as far as slashers for me, I was trying to think about this. I tend to lean on 80 slashers mm. more than anything else. I, I, I enjoy them more. There's something about the campiness. There's something that feels, I don't know if I want to say more innocent about the nature of them. Like they were a lot, so many of them were just small budget. They were just, people were just trying to turn a buck, whatever. They weren't, they weren't trying to make hundreds of millions of dollars, et cetera. They were just, they're trying to make something different, something original. Mm -hmm. Um, At least as far as the kills were concerned, you know, they weren't trying to necessarily retread the tire with the killers. There was something distinguishing about the killers themselves or the motivations, whatever. Um, And, as I've talked ad nauseum on this podcast before, so many slashers, I have such a hard time these days rooting for anybody that I feel like in a lot of 80s horror, there was, was there an annoying person? Absolutely. There was a person who thought they were way funnier than they really were. And, but usually it was like, it was either they were just, okay, like they're being teens, they're being ridiculous, whatever, as opposed to so in your face obnoxious that it goes beyond I want them to die and shifts to I just don't want to see them in this movie anymore. I think you're showing your age because I yeah. do I do think that with a lot of teens in today's films, it's just proportionally to what the teens were like in the 80s. Yeah. Um, but I, I quite, ran a question. Are you one of those people that really hates the Friday the 13th remake because you think that all those characters are reprehensible and you're like, I wish I had the charms of the original franchise. What you mean a Friday the thirteenth like the the, the last movie? The two thousand nine one. Oh no, I love the two thousand nine movie. Interesting. I, I only bring t- it up because that's a movie that like I've I know a lot of fans of the franchise hate that remake because they're like, there's no one to root for, all these characters suck. And I'm there, like there's like a plenty of nice people. There's plenty of jerks too. But yeah. Actually, yeah. the only one I don't like I mean, yeah, they're ridiculous, they're teens, whatever. Who are all older than me at this point anyway. <laughs> but they the one the one I really didn't like was the the main character the the male lead was it Jared, Jared Padalecki <laughs> yeah Padalecki. I didn't like him he intentionally was getting in everybody's face I mean like, yes I understand your your sister's missing and you went into <laughs> that cabin knowing whose it was and had a beer and stared him down dude come on do better. <laughs> I I think he's a bland character I don't think yeah. he's an unlikable character. <laughs> Oh no! I but I feel like uh, so the quote Bland unquote is, villain is in my it, too. yeah, the quote unquote va- villain male lead whatever, yeah, yeah, or, or who's painted as the bad guy, is he shitty? Sure, is it shown pretty quickly that he's under the thumb of his parents? Yeah, like he's afraid of any messes whatsoever in his house. He's pretty boring. He's gonna cheat on his girlfriend, all that stuff, and he's just a douche. But it's like, all right, 
Like that honestly doesn't bother me so much. Like mm-hmm. because it's also clear that all his friends are just using him for his money. That's the only reason they're I there. I love My how issue... like well you get into the psychology of a character <laughs> that most people absolutely despise. Like I yeah. I vividly I can't remember a lot of what he says, but him talking about the girl's breasts, like that oh, commentary yeah. is such yeah. It's uh, so awkward. It's so funny. It is so but <laughs> but the movie knows what it's doing. Like it the does. movie like, it is not like unintentionally funny. It is intentionally funny. Yeah. And honestly, that's pro- it's probably my favorite depiction of Jason in any of the franchises. Was mm. it Tyler Maine who played him? Derek no. Mears. Yeah. Derek. Oh, Derek Mears. You're right. Derek Mears. Mm-hmm. I think it was great. And you cannot beat at least obviously in the movie too, but in the trailer, the way it's cut mm. with Jason running up on a guy with a machete about to like full swing into his okay. head. That's the Jason we all need. <laughs> Running Jason is so, scary as hell. So what you're saying is your pick for underrated slasher for this question is the remake of the fr- of Friday the 13th. <laughs> yeah, I talked myself into it. I didn't think I'd have any new ones. Amazing. My old one was my old one was Blood Rage, which I recently watched, mm. and I'm kind of falling more in love with that it's not Cranberry. I feel like <laughs> that is no longer been underrated anymore. Like that has widely become the default uh, Thanksgiving horror movie. But I think it's the age of listicles, right? Like, I think the past five years, because when someone says, oh, what's the Thanksgiving? Like, it always comes up. And so, yeah, like, you're right. Like, mainstream people aren't going to, get, like, know what blood rage is. Yeah. But I, I feel like, yeah, if you're, like, moderately involved in the horror community, like, you know what that is. I think, And we... I'm pretty sure it's available on Shudder right now, too, if yeah. anyone needs to see it. I think we have, like, boutique labels also, because once they unearth something, then horror yeah. fans find it and talk about it. And, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Because that's like, a, is that an arrow or? Um, I'm pretty eh, sure it's I, an arrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's not crazy. I definitely blind bought that one. Yeah. All right. Oh, and by the way, I'm John. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday when the episode drops, we hope your week's been filled with all the best kinds of horror. And if not, we're going to do our quick round the table for the movies, books, games, or anything else in horror that are making the three of us smile right now. Maybe it'll be things that'll make you smile too. So, Megan, why don't you start things off and tell us what's been filling your heart this week? Uh, obviously I'm going to channel, uh, Zeta here in spirit because we actually had a conversation last week about, uh, her love of cult horror and she was hyping up the believers real bad and I wanted to watch it. Um, so it is, uh, from 1987. You can currently find it on Tubi. It stars Martin Sheen as a New York psychiatrist. Uh, he finds that a brujeria inspired cult uh, that believes in child sacrifice has a keen interest in his own son. It is this really interesting movie in the period that it came out. I mean, it's like 1987 and it's a slow burn. It's it's uh, opens with the grisly death of his wife, accidental, complete freak accident. And then, you know, he moves to a brownstone uh, Helen Shaver becomes the new love interest. Um, and then it's this slow kind of almost like angel heart in that there's like a mm. peripheral kind of cult demon worship stuff going on. And you've got this guy in over his head trying to figure out what's happening. Only this time there's something with his son. His son keeps finding like, you know, weird totems and, and tokens of, of this stuff. Um, but if you are arachnophobic, <laughs> then you will probably have a severe issue with the late game scene. So there's your warning now. I will say that the practical effects makes this far more effective than, say, scary stories to tell in the dark did. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't love it as strongly as Xena because this is one of her favorites, but it is pretty interesting and does has some, it does have some pretty cool stuff in it. And what uh, year is it from again? 1987. Okay. I will say that it cracked me up because you don't see this in a movie now. There is a scene where Martin Sheen's kid is being a little turd and he chases him down and spanks him in the middle of the street and shakes him and yells at him. And it's like, you don't see that. You won't see that these days. So definitely a movie of its era. Um, and then I watched, uh, a movie I was looking, I struck out a lot, not going to lie last week. So I was looking for a comfort watch, something familiar. And then I was browsing prime video and saw Jennifer's body, the unrated cut and the rated cut. And I could not remember if I'd seen the unrated cut. So I watched that. That is, uh, it's a 2009 movie. It's both versions are available on prime video. If you are not familiar, it's a uh, newly possessed high school cheerleader who turns into a succubus and specializes in killing boys, her boy classmates. Uh, Can her best friend put an end to the terror? I love this movie so much. Um, I I could go, we could probably spend a whole episode talking about it. Mm -hmm. Trace, I feel like you were nodding like you've seen The Unrated as well. Yeah, it's been a while, because this is actually the third episode we did for Horror Queers, Um, and if I recall correctly, the unrated cut is less so, like, unrated, like, oh, there's, like, more tits and stuff, because obviously there's not really any nudity in the movie, but it's more so the preferred, like, director's cut of Kara and Kusama, because there is, it's edited differently, like, there's not a ton of extra footage, but it's edited differently, especially the opening, I think, that um, gets her point across more. I couldn't tell too much. There is like a five minute difference in runtime. Mm-hmm. And where it's most noticeable for me is with the parents. There's a lot, yeah. like, they give more emphasis on the parents reacting to their children dying. And it's mm-hmm. both kind of adds a little bit of pathos, but it's definitely funny because this movie is funny. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know. I cannot remember the actor's name, but he's he's in the stand, the uh, Mick Garris miniseries, the Tom Cullen M O O N. He's the dad to the football player in uh, the one that she eats in the woods, and he's yeah. just screaming about how he's gonna nail a bag of dicks to the whoever did this. And <laughs> same thing with like Kyle, the goth kid, uh, Kyle Gallner's character. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's, there's a funeral, there's an entire funeral sequence that I don't really remember in, in the trimmed down version. No, you're right. That, that, that is extra. Um, and, and that's something too, that I think is like, again, like I talk about how, uh, like chase scenes aren't like common as much, but I think, I think grieving scenes, we, you don't see that in a ton of horror, but I think we're starting to see that more now. Um, and again, I'll go back to initiation for that because it's a really good scene of grief and initiation. But yeah, uh, I think that those scenes, like, it really enhanced the film. Yeah, it actually shows kind of a toll because so mm-hmm. much of the theatrical... I mean, it really is a story about the two best friends and very authentic to teen girl experience there. Um, but yeah, it gives some insight that there is a, a, a cost to to what she's doing and who she's murdering. But yeah, I really, right. I really like this movie. And I want to see more Kyle I know Kyle Gallner will be in the upcoming scream but like he needs more roles it is not horror but have you he did a film that did the festival circuit last year um oh my god dinner in America yes it is not horror at all but I love it it's so good (laughs) yeah um so that's what I watched Trace what uh horrors filled your heart this past week (sighs) so okay I've got one 
new one, and well, actually, they're both new, but I'll go first. Uh, first up, I did check out a movie called See For Me, um, which is hitting VOD on January 6th. I'm not sure when this episode is dropping, but um, in Wednesday. See For Me, this we have... Wednesday. Okay, there you go. So I think it comes out uh, tomorrow if you're listening to this on release day. Um, but we have Skylar Davenport starring as Sophie, a visually impaired teenager who is house-sitting for a wealthy client when three criminals break into the house to rob it. Sophie's only defense is a smartphone app called See For Me, which connects her to Kelly, a gamer who has to use the app to see Sophie's surroundings and guide her actions. Um, this is a film that... I mean, you can liken it to Panic Room meets Hush in a way. Um, it doesn't really, again, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it's a really solid home invasion thriller that took some turns for me that I wasn't expecting. Like something happens at the end of the first act that I was like, oh, I thought this was going to be a climactic moment, but it's happening at the end of act one, which I really, really appreciated. And both Davenport and Jessica Parker Kennedy, who plays um, Kelly, are really, really good in this. And of course, you have a little bit of Kim Coates thrown in for good measure. I like this one too. I saw this at Tribeca. Um, mm -hmm. And I agree completely with what you were saying. I like, I'm very curious for John to see this because this is a protagonist that makes some very questionable moral decisions that yeah. makes it far more intriguing. I think it's, and I, 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 I I don't want to say I wish <laughs> it was. No, 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 because I, I do like it. My qualm with it is I don't think um, it masters the suspense fully, but I'm so invested in this character who, as you said, had made some questionable moral decisions and her relationship with Kelly. Like I was, gr they grounded the film for me. So while I wish some of the, like the suspenseful set pieces would have been maybe directed a bit better um, on the whole, like, I think it's a really solid film and I would easily recommend it. Agreed. My next pick is very unorthodox, and y'all might laugh when I say it. Because I, I, I've been doing, um, catching up on all my Oscar screeners, because I have to do it as part of the um, the Austin Film Critics Association, and so I'm, do, I'm watching a lot of non-horror movies. Um, but I'm actually going to recommend, um, oh my god, let me get his name, uh, Pablo Lorraine's Spencer, the ah. Diana, Princess Diana film starring Kristen Stewart. And I say this because while it's not technically a horror film... It dips its toes into horror so much. I'm talking body horror. Um, oh. She sees she sees the ghost of Anne Boleyn that stalks her around the halls. Like it is, it, there's there's a scene where she's like eating soup and she breaks her pearl necklace and begins just eating the pearls. Like it's it is a bizarre, borderline campy, very anxiety inducing film that is basically. It's about, it's, the setting is in the early 90s. Um, she has just discovered her husband's affair with Camilla, blah, 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 what's her face? And it's basically like the weekend before she decides to split from him. And it's like how the, and it's, it's very fictionalized. Like, I mean, right. it is like, hey, and it's supposed to be kind of this kind of like fever dream of what she was going through this weekend. And Stuart is, nails it. Like, I mean, like from her first scene, you're like, oh shit, like she, she is doing work here like it is awesome but when it starts dipping into the horror you're just like this is not what i expected and i love it but people going looking for a traditional princess diana biopic um, are going to be very perplexed by what they are seeing <laughs> no but as a horror fan i'm sold this is the pitch i needed when this movie was released i mean it's not yeah, too I'm, late but yeah There's let's like just a whole... say that um wire cutters come into play at one point and now i'm <laughs> queuing this up immediately that's amazing yeah it's a it was a very pleasant surprise, not what I expected, and I was like, I was blown away by this movie. Yeah, I just thought it was going to be an artful 
a Princess Diana biopic. And it, it is artful and it is pretty, but yeah, it is, um, it's much more of a, I would honestly say psychological thriller than I would I'm, like a drama. Oh, that's exciting. I'm in. Mm-hmm. See, now I feel like I'm going to watch this and it's going to turn out that Trace is just like joking with everybody just to get them to watch it because he just really <laughs> likes the movie. I, like, no. How can I, I get I, people to watch this? And that's why I'm saying it's not horror. Like it, it dips its toes into the well. There's another sure, it's anxiety, called... it's depression. The humans, it sounds it's... like the humans, yeah. where yes, it's like yes. people coming together. It's using, it's it's filming something like a horror movie to capture anxiety. So it's not mm-hmm. horror, but they, they're they treating it as such. Yeah, and I wouldn't call the, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, for me, the humans is much more of a drama that, you know, has jump scares right. in it. I, I would, I feel more comfortable putting Spencer in the, this could work as genre, than I would putting the humans in a genre umbrella. Well, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Awesome. Yeah, that was unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I gotcha. Yeah, you did. <laughs> John Spade. Uh, yeah, from completely unexpected to something that I've watched several times before. I just wanted to talk about it. 2007, 2007's Severance. 2000 Severance. 2007. <laughs> I hope 2022 is not 2000 Severance. <laughs> no. A retreat into the mountains of Eastern Europe goes horribly wrong for the sales division of the multinational weapons company Palisade Defense when their team building weekend turns into one of survival. This, I think I saw Severance for the first time, it was probably 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those, I think I just turned on. It was, I don't know if I rented it or what, because 2010 Blockbuster was still around. Right, I was I working might. there at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I I might have rented it from Blockbuster. I don't remember, but I watched it, and it was just it was one of those. It, it's one of those pleasant surprises. No expectations whatsoever. No idea what it's about. I saw the cover box art or the whatever it was of a like basically chin down of a suit and tie splattered with blood and someone holding like a Bowie knife. It's like all right, let's check this out, <laughs> and it's this amazingly funny. And unexpected, like British or English horror movie, exactly like I said, it's this horror. This pretty listen, it's a pretty terrible group of people going I, on a team building I exercise. Think, I think the box, like they touted, is like the office meets like insert horror <laughs> comedy here. Like, <laughs> um, that might be a little bit of a stretch to call it the office. Yeah, uh, not so much. Yeah, but I see I see how you would try and pitch that to an executive that way. Yeah. You call it the office and then it's like this isn't the office. It, it's just, it's just co- it's a it's a company retreat. Like that's <laughs> Yeah. It's a company retreat that goes the worst possible way it ever could. Mm-hmm. But it's really funny and it introduced me to Danny Dwyer and I'd never seen him in anything before, so I started watching a bunch of his stuff and I don't know if he sticks to mostly like UK productions or something now. I feel like he should be in more stuff. He's so funny. Like, he's just charismatic, like, on the screen. He's just, like, fun time to watch. But, yeah, Severance. I don't have much to say about it. Might be because I saw it. It's not, like, any revelations. I was just really happy that it was on it's HBO comfort Max. watch. Yeah, I yeah that, that's comfort for sure. And it's a slasher. I think mm-hmm. it technically kind of yeah. counts as a slasher. It does. It so, does. So that would be my underappreciated slasher that more people <laughs> need to go see. Uh, because evidently Blood Rage was the wrong answer. For no, it was not so. the wrong no. answer. I'm just saying everybody is following your lead, John. You're a trendsetter. Oh, I'm, I'm the trendsetter. Yeah. Got it. yeah. You're an influencer now. How do you feel I mean, about the, that? 
it's the same way Jennifer's body fight like uh, eight years ago would have been underrated, underseen, but now it's like I mean, it's it's made the shift into cult hit, you know, which is crazy. It's one of those ones where you're there from the beginning to see it grow, and you're like, yes, yeah, yeah. Anyways, that was that's a whole other tangent. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. As I mentioned earlier, that part of my it's not a New Year's resolution. It's just something that I need to do. I've got a lot of books at home that I haven't finished reading or I haven't started reading. Like, I need to do that. So part of what I did is I rounded up all the horror novels that I could find that I hadn't started reading or was halfway through, and I'm going to start reading them. Or I'm going to finish them. Okay. And this one was actually one I bought because I just got excited to, and I decided to start reading 1974's Jaws, the original novel, mm. because Jaws is also probably my favorite horror film. So I'm like, let me try the book. And it's exactly... There's nothing I'm going to say in the description of this that isn't Jaws. So, <laughs> so someone's like, that sounds like the movie. Yeah, it does. <laughs> the story of a great white shark that preys upon a small resort town and the voyage of three men trying to kill it. That's a different movie. <laughs> yeah, totally different. Totally like different. That, I, I think I just described Wait. The Exorcist, which I'm <laughs> yeah. going to be reading. Wait, next. have you finished the book yet or are you still in the middle of it? Uh, I, I have like 50 pages to go. I couldn't quite finish it before we recorded. Okay. Okay. Um, but this, I could totally see, I, I was curious. So I looked for some reviews and one of the reviews, like it, it was a best-selling novel. I can't remember if it was a best-selling novel before or after the movie ad adaptation. I think it was before. I think so too. Um, and that's what caught the attention of Steven Spielberg to, uh, produce it. But it's the overarching plot is the same. Mm -hmm. Like it's shark eats people. people. Town. <laughs> yeah. Town, town needs people to be at beach. Beaches stay open. <laughs> Bad things happen. Go after sharks. But everything in between is different. Mm -hmm. So one of the reviews I said was that the most likable character in the book was the shark. <laughs> and that that's what people wanted to read the most of because it does do the shark's POV several uh, times. And which the is, people, yeah, are. It, oh, go ahead. Is that why? Because I've heard that so many people, when they, when they do book, like, you know, books are always better than movies, but there are a few exceptions. Jaws is always one mm -hmm. that comes up that the movie is better than the book. I'm wondering if that's why. I could see someone saying that, but that's because Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss bring so much amazing screen presence. Well, I mean, there's also an entire subplot with Hooper and yeah. Richard Dreyfuss' character having an affair with Mrs. Brody. And Spoilers. Yeah, I, which it's really weird when there's a whole paragraph where he's talking about her vagina. Um, not that I'm opposed. It was just like me as like a 17-year-old reading, oh, I'm reading Jaws, like getting that. It was very... There's there's Surreal. several sections where I'm where me as an adult who has seen plenty was reading it like this was a weird choice. Mm -hmm. This was a weird fantasy that you're describing in a restaurant right now. Uh, <laughs> like I almost wanted to say, "Hey, hon, can you read this section?" The other thing that blew me is how blew me away <laughs> was how much. <laughs> what blew you? Uh, Jaws <laughs> brings out an interesting. Yeah, I'm making this episode explicit this week. Evidently. Yeah. Um, uh, how much vermouth everybody drinks in this book? Like, they literally talk about drinking a cup of vermouth. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, That's times so have changed. 
disgusting. I didn't know and, you people drank vermouth by itself. Like, I literally, did I. I have a I have a spray bottle full of vermouth in For my martini, fridge that sure. I use to spray a martini glass before yeah. I pour vodka in it. <laughs> Yeah, but in t- like a cup of it on the rocks. <laughs> yeah, but if you look at like retro cookbooks, they they had some weird food trends. I mean, I don't know about the seventies, but you remember like everything was gelatinized. All of these bowls. Oh yeah, aspic. Yeah. Everything was in aspic. There you go. What was that? What was that? I don't want ham choice. and clear gelatin. That sounds awful. So maybe <laughs> vermouth was. It had a hell of a marketing campaign around nineteen seventy four. I've definitely cooked steak that I've like cooked it in vermouth, but again, I'm not just drinking vermouth. Drinking a cup of vermouth. <laughs> I've tried drinking cooking sherry before. That's terrible. That's yeah. uh, like Marsala probably wine. better and yet still worse. Yeah. If it's got but cooking in front of it, you probably shouldn't drink it. Probably. <laughs> or if it says rubbing in front of it, I guess I'm not yeah, supposed to. Yeah, don't do that. That's a no-no, what? John. <laughs> Live and learn. Don't rub anything with that. There you go. <laughs> and, but and back to the novel. Uh, it's very different from the movie, the movie that I love so much. And I really like the book. And I really like the book for a lot of the same reason why I really love Salem's Lot is it categorizes a personification of certain small town life so well. Mm. It's not necessarily the people that I like as much as the town. I buy that this place exists. Yeah. I buy that these interactions exist. So I can look past the largely unlikable characters. Like, that doesn't matter to me because they feel real. They don't feel like caricatures Mm -hmm. that are standing outside of the action. They're the people within the action, and they're flawed, and they make stupid mistakes and say stupid things, and that's fine because it's realistic. Mm -hmm. And I am interested – I was interested to see that uh, uh, Hooper and Quint's characters within the book are also at odds. Yeah. As much as it is famed – that Richard Dreyfus and Shaw were at odds during the filming and Shaw was just terrible to Dreyfus and like it was just a horrible relationship. It actually shined through. So I don't know if Robert Shaw is an amazing method actor, but I don't think so. <laughs> I will say one thing, and it's not a spoiler, but that is a book where when I read it and I finished it, I literally was like, I thought there were pages removed after mm. the end because when it ended, I was like, wait, that's it? Like, it's over? <laughs> it's one of those. Of- it's kind of getting to that for me because I'm like, there's not that much time left mm-hmm. in what's going on. So something's going to just be a, it's just, yeah, it's going to stop. Yeah. And I, I'm, gonna be a, I'm intrigued to know what you think. So I will be, message me. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Tomorrow. I'm going to finish reading it tonight. I'm going to run, the, I'm, I'll be editing this and reading because I, now I want to finish it. Mm-hmm. And I'll have a new book to talk about next week. Or I'll talk about the ending next week <laughs> with a different guest host. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Okay, before we move on, what did we watch and how did we watch it? I watched uh, The Believers on Tubi and the unrated version of Jennifer's Body on Prime Video. Um, I watched See For Me in a press screener, but as I said, it will be on VOD starting on January 6th, which as of, well, it's tomorrow. Um, Spencer, I also had a press screener, but you can rent it for $3.99 on Amazon Prime right now. Woohoo! So there I'm you so go. pedestrian. I never get screeners. <laughs> I watched 2007 Severance on HBO, and I'm reading 1974's Jaws, <laughs> the novel. I'm reading. I'm reading. <laughs> well, I always say the things we read or play or everything else. I'm like, we never talk about what we read. I was like, we should. I should probably read some stuff. Put these <laughs> insurmountable student loan debts to good work. There you go. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. 
We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, enough about what we've been watching this week. It's time for Megan to bring us up to speed on the news and trending topics in the world of horror. So what's going on, Megan? I could not have themed this better for Trace if I tried. It's all <laughs> slasher stuff. Um, and honestly, it's it's a pretty light week because we are coming off of a holiday yeah. week. Uh, we're in a new year. Happy New Year again. Um, but I don't know if any of you saw that the UK company Serial Killer, they announced in on Halloween on social media that they were going to release a Strawberries and Scream cereal made up of crispy Molo cereal clusters. It, the, the box makes it look like it's pink Rice Krispie Treat bits. Yeah. Uh, the box features Ghostface on the front, and it's an officially li- licensed product that's been made with the collaboration of Paramount Pictures and Fun World. Uh, the company teased back then around Halloween. Scream cereal launches January 22nd to celebrate the new movie. This isn't just an amazing cereal. The collector's box is the first ever talking cereal box. So I'm guessing Ghostface talks to you. Oh my god. How much is that gonna cost? <laughs> uh not much. I'll get to the the caveat though. So it's <laughs> strawberries and cream flavor, mallow cluster, packed with strawberry and cream punch, loads of strawberry jelly bits with whole dehydrated marshmallows. It's an official scream cereal. It's available to pre-order now on their website for I think I saw it was like $8.99. But it's only available if you live in the UK. You cannot. Like they're not they, even shipping outside the UK. No, I and I don't hmm. know if they would have. Um, but COVID is a thing, so they're not even shipping outside of the UK. Like even if you're in Europe, because I know somebody living in Germany right now who is going to try and order and send to friends. But no, that is not a thing. So this is a UK exclusive. You lucky ducks. Uh, I don't even want the cereal. I just want the talking ghost face box. <laughs> I know. Well, th- this is when you start a podcast and you get listeners from around the world and then you can have them mail you these things for you. <laughs> yeah, that gets pricey. I don't even know how that would work. But yeah, yeah. The, the shipping. At least send us pictures so we can live vicariously. Send us TikTok recordings the- of the voice of him talking. Because, yeah, that sounds amazing. And then uh, Friday the 13th legal rights battle is slowly inching forward towards closure. It's been a very long road uh, since, you know, this whole legal rights is preventing us from getting any kind of new movies. But we might be heading towards closure because uh, the Friday 13th Part 3 star and entertainment lawyer Larry Zerner has been keeping fans updated on the progress of this messy legal battle over the franchise's legal rights that pits Sean Cunningham... Uh, slash Horror Inc. against original screenwriter Victor Miller. Um, And according to Zerner, the case is officially over as Cunningham failed to file a cert petition by the 4 p.m. deadline. This was like a week ago. Uh, Mm. But Victor Miller is allegedly still the official rights holder to the original Friday the 13th screenplay in the U.S. only. So (laughs) if you're 
this is this is a very complicated thing that I'm summarizing only a snippet of. So basically, I guess they've been locked in a battle. Uh, Cunningham failed to file what he needed to to keep this going. So what this means is that it's still complicated. But yeah, I know this is crazy. <laughs> so basically, he explained on Twitter: um, Can Victor and Sean just make their own separate movies? Not really, because Victor only owns U.S. rights and only to the first script, and Sean owns adult hockey mask wearing Jason, but can't legally use him in a movie without Victor's permission. It's complicated. So it basically sounds like they're going to have to work together, but they're not clashing because he didn't file the cert needed to. Well, so they're they, not legally clashing. Correct. Like, correct. So <laughs> they like, it could still be personally. Right. But legally it's a small, tiny smidge forward, but still right. stagnant, but it's yeah. So if you're curious for the very sorted lengthy details and longer history, you could definitely go to bloody disgusting because they would keep a track of it. Uh, it's a messy, messy thing to sort through, but that's the update. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. And this is an even more minor thing, but I want to discuss it strictly for Trace's reaction. Uh, uh, this popped up literally today as, as of recording on Twitter. And again, I, I, I saved this for Trace. Freddie Prinze Jr. has not starred in a feature horror <laughs> film since I Still Know What You Did last summer. And the actor took to Twitter to... Uh, reveal that he's been he he wants to do another horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he tweeted, "I've wanted to make another horror movie ever since I know what you did last summer. Wrapped, never found the right one, but I think this year it's gonna happen." So I he settled on a Cascade commercial last year. <laughs> is, that, is that what it is? <laughs> you know, it, it's 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 isn't it funny how the things we talked about at the beginning of the episode came back for the end of it the episode? It happens all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> But yeah, I just, I know that you're a huge, huge fan of this movie. Yeah. Uh, he really, and Scooby-Doo. I mean, he's done Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo 2, both well, written by and, James and, Gunn. But that's like the closest he's come to horror since, really. Yeah, and, and he he loves Scooby-Doo. I remember whenever they were doing the press tours for the original Scooby-Doo way back in 2002, he like made Sarah Michelle Gellar like watch all of Scooby-Doo Where Are You With Him because he had all the VHSs. Oh, <laughs> that's cute. What kind of horror movie do you think, because he, you know, he says... That I mean, he hasn't been he's acting, never found really. the right one. No, he spent, so what is he he spent he the last like decade writing for WWE. Oh, really? Well, and I know I know both he and his wife have been doing voice work for I I want to say the Clone Wars, maybe uh, definitely uh. something Star Wars related. Um, but yeah, they haven't been super super active. So I'm mean, honestly I'm fine with it. I mean, Freddie Prinze has never been my favorite actor per se. Um, but I mean. Yes, give me that nostalgia from the 90s and put him in a new horror movie. Like, I'm here. Just to kind of play devil's advocate here, but we're in an era where so many franchises are kind of returning to reckon with their legacy. Mm-hmm. Would would there be a revival? Like, I, I feel like I Know What You Did Last Summer had a series that's so completely different that there's mm-hmm. still plenty of room for a movie to kind of... Well... I, I won't go too long on this, but you know, because Scream had the same thing. Because I, I, while that Scream TV series is wildly up and down in quality, I do think that that that, that is a big reason why we have a new Scream film uh, is because a lot of the young, Gen Z wa- were introduced to the franchise by that TV show, and then they would go out and see the films afterwards. And so I think that that raised awareness of the brand. And I honestly, 
I don't know if it's going to happen with I Know You Did Last Summer because, well, I know Megan and I quite enjoyed the show. <laughs> it's such a crazy mess. I like it. Yes. Is, it is it is trash, and I loved it. Um, choices were made. <laughs> choices were made. Yes. I don't think the buzz is there. But that being said, if people slowly start finding their way to it, and they're like, oh, I know you did last summer. Let me go watch the original movie. If 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 the same scenario happens, I'm here for it. Fuck it. Like, get... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's already marked explicit, dude. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's on board. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm, why I'm not? Down. I, I don't know what it could be. I don't know what it could be. All right, listeners, your turn. Think more horror movies need their own serial tie-in? Think we need more Freddie Prince Jr. in our lives? Let's hear about it. The number is 0-4-0. Numbers also in the show notes, or feel free to email us via discussing podcast at gmail.com or text us at the same number. Finally, Megan's gonna make all our lives easier in the sea of horror movie options and clue us in what's appearing soon that we should be watching. So, Megan, I almost said Xena. I'm what gonna do my be best watching? to channel Xena because Xena would normally oh, be giving luck. us the run through. Um, but <laughs> as of now, uh, this this dropped on Monday. The third Ghostbusters Afterlife. If you missed that in theater, that is now on VOD. Uh, a movie called Hotel Poseidon, which I hear is super icky. It'll make you don't eat it while you're hungry. <laughs> That's exclusive to Arrow streaming service, which is Ooh. available, you know, Roku and all all other places. Uh, Tuesday the fourth, uh, Antlers and The Gin both dropped on Blu-ray. They came home. And uh, surprise horror, Spanish horror movie, The Wasteland, comes to Netflix Thursday the 6th. And then the movie that Trace discussed, uh, See For Me, will be available Friday on VOD. And as always, live your life, treat yourself, bloody disgusting TV, uh, now on Screenbox. There you go. Yeah, it wasn't Xena, but you know what, Megan, you did great. Yes. Did I get an A for effort, at least? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You get an A. You you get a little star. Yay. And that's the Bloody Disgusting podcast for this week, everyone. If you'd like to read more from Megan, you can check out her reviews at bloodydisgusting.com and on Twitter at HauntedMeg. Trace can be found on the Horror Queers podcast or at Trace D. Thurman on Twitter. And you can hear me on my weekly horror narration podcast, Creepy. And don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BeDisgustingPod or drop us an email at BeDisgustingPodcast at gmail.com. And for even more content and rewards, check us out on Patreon.com slash BeDisgustingPod. So for this week, I'm John. I'm Megan. And I'm Trace. Grab some popcorn, cozy up on the couch, and watch something you love. Just make sure it's something bloody.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.